Yes, yeah, so as Dylan said, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1 tonight, verses 10 through 12, so you can keep turning there. And before I forget this, Jesse Antman, who is right here, I counted, I think there are seven different instrument music things that he was doing here. So when we sing again, you guys should all look and just try to pay attention. I was like watching him. He even had drumsticks out at one point, and he was just banging them against this as a, as a thing. So when we get to sing, don't miss that. You're going to want to see what Jesse is doing. But speaking of the Bible... I want to talk to you all about slugs uh, for a second here. Um, so I think that we have a picture coming up on the screen. So this is a slug. There's a lot of different types of slugs out there in the world. And I, you should just Google it, search facts about slugs. There's a lot of things you would have never expected. Here's a couple of them that I found. Did you know that slugs have tentacles? Probably. You probably thought that, right? You can kind of see that's what those things are. But then they also have blowholes. And then guess how many teeth slugs have? Thousands. Thousands of, this is what it says, thousands of teeth. So don't get too close to a slug. Definitely don't kiss a slug. It will literally bite your face off, okay? Slugs have thousands of teeth. Here's another thing about slugs. They, uh, they actually mate upside down. And there's a lot more about that that I'm not at liberty to discuss tonight and on the live stream. So you can Google that one as well. It gets pretty weird, but slugs, they mate upside down. The next one is that slug slime, you know, the, the mucusy stuff that comes off them. It's actually, it's not just slime, it is liquid crystal is, is technically what it is, which honestly, that's just pretty cool. It's kind of a cool thing about slugs. Here's the last one I got for you. This is crazy. Slugs, they can grow up to be, how many, how many pounds do you think a slug could be, Max? A little zealous over there. <laughs> 30 pounds. Slugs, slugs can grow to be 30 pounds. And so I know that it's like a cool thing as a college student to get a dog at some point. And I'm just telling you, if you get a dog, don't also get a slug because that slug could one day grow up to eat your dog. You heard it here first. I'm just warning you. Okay. So slugs. Here's, here's my question. How many of you would say that you know what it means as a human being to feel like a slug? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. The, the phrase that I personally use for, for this feeling is I call it just blobbing around. Just blobbing around through life. Talk to somebody about this. The most recent time that I felt like this was the week that I got COVID, which was back in September. Who else got COVID the first week of September that's in, the, that's in this room? So there's a lot of us that it, it got us. And that, that week, you know, the, the crazy part was I got a negative test. And so I didn't know that I had COVID for about the first seven days. And it was the week where the whole campus shut down. So Monday was Labor Day. And it, w it went from being like a really nice warm weather week to all of a sudden it was like dark and gloomy and like everything was shutting down. I just remember like sitting there in my house and being like, I'm just kind of down because of the weather. I'm down because I'm, I'm truly not feeling well, but I don't have COVID. I, don't, I have some mysterious illness <laughs> that I'm like throwing up from and aching, but I don't have COVID because I got a negative test and I'm laying around on the couch. And I remember I would, I would try to um, go outside and like go for a run just to get my body moving and I'm just like, I can't breathe. <laughs> I'm like running around here. I can't breathe. And my, my love handles were hurting, like just like aching, like severely. And I'm like telling my wife, I'm like, babe, my, my love handles, they just, they just hurt. And she's just like, just stop, stop complaining. But I, I thought this achy feeling that I had was because I was laying on the couch so much, you know, when you're just laying on the couch, your body just starts to hurt. And I probably should have realized about halfway through the week that the sheer number of people around me that had COVID, I should have just been like, clearly, that's, that's what this is. I have like all these signs and symptoms, but it just like, it never crossed my mind. And I spent the whole week just blobbing around my house, right? I remember I, I walked past uh, Tyler line on the bike path 
uh, early in the morning and just like muttering to myself under my breath, trying to like get my body moving. Um, we had to do Salt Company online that week because everything was shut down. And I, I uh, gave a message while I had COVID, but didn't know I had it. And I, it was on uh, Jesus turning water into wine. And the message was about what to do when the wine runs out in your life, which is very, very appropriate. And but I, I just had nothing. Like I literally, I was like looking at my Bible, I'm like, I don't know what to say about this. And I remember looking at like the sermon clock and I was only at 18 minutes and I was just like, I've got nothing left. I don't know, I literally don't know what to say. So I just wrapped it up pretty quickly. It was like the shortest sermon I've ever given. And the bottom line is I was like unmotivated. I was uninspired. I was unmoved. I felt lazy and gross. Like just kind of like, what's the point? Like a uh, slug. Okay, hard transition. Hard transition here. Here is a profound truth for you all to consider tonight. God did not create you to be like a slug. Okay? There it is. That's, it's, that's pretty deep. I know. God didn't create us to be like slugs. Okay, but what I mean is, in 1 Peter, we've been seeing that there's this reality of being a Christian where Peter, he calls us these elect exiles. Like, we're like pilgrims that are on a journey. This world isn't our home. We're on our way to, to heaven. Like, life is a, the Christian life is a journey. But it's a hard journey, right? And it's a long journey, and it's a tiring journey. And sometimes on like this long journey of being a Christian, this long journey of life, we start to just blob around a little bit sometimes. We start to, to be like a, a slug. We get sluggish. We lose our focus. We lose our purpose. We forget like what we're doing. We lack motivation. I mean, right now, guys, it is negative 20 degrees outside. You're all just stuck in your apartment or your dorm room. You're like literally moving from like your bed to the computer and your bed to the computer and you can't see anybody. Like your entire life is being lived out in this room. It can feel hard to pray, right? It's like you know you want to, but you're just like, I can't like get myself to do it. You, the Bible feels dry when you read it. Maybe you get yourself to come to something like this or you come on Sunday to, to Doxa and you're, you're like, I'm singing, but I'm zoning out. My mind is, is wandering. And, you know, you fill in the blank. Like you know what you're like when you're in slug mode, okay? And we know, we like, we feel it, we feel this angst that like, I don't think that life, and I don't think the Christian life is supposed to be marked by apathy like this, but it just is sometimes, it's just a reality. And the good news tonight is in 1 Peter chapter 1, I think that this text, I think Peter, the things he says can really help us with this. Okay, last week, if, you know, we weren't here in person, it was just online because of the snow, and so maybe a bunch of you didn't, didn't see it, but we basically talked about what salvation is, okay, it was verses 3 through 9. Tonight, it's, it's how did salvation come to us? How did, how did we even hear about this? Last week was what it is, but tonight it's about how it came to us. And in considering that, what these, what these three verses tonight are going to do, it's going to shock us out of our Christian sluggery, <laughs> by revealing and helping us remember what it really means that the gospel, salvation, has come to us. Because when you realize what it really means that the gospel came to you, that salvation has come from heaven to earth to you, when you realize what that means, when you realize what it took for salvation to get to you, you can't blob around. You get filled with passion and with purpose and with motivation. And so tonight is about moving from apathy in our faith to vitality in our faith. So sit up a little bit straighter, right? If you're blobbing right now in your chair, don't do that. Sit up, sit up straight. And let me just read this again for us. Let's give our attention to, to this passage and I'll read it for us and then we're going to walk through it kind of slowly together and draw out some implications for this. Okay, so back to verse 10. 
1 Peter chapter 1, it says this, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and they inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Okay, so he starts off, and you'll see it. He says, concerning this salvation. And what he's doing is he's, he's actually referring to what we talked about last week, right? And I know that maybe a, a bunch of you weren't there or didn't catch it online. We actually have, like, the sermons on our website, saltmadison.com. We have a podcast, too, if you ever want to catch up on one. But here's basically what he said last week in verses 3 through 9. He lays out salvation. He's t- he talks about heaven, and he, he basically says this. He says, hey, this is what has happened in the world. God has come down. God has rescued humanity from a life of just futility in this fallen world and a future apart from him in hell. He has rescued humanity and he's actually guaranteed us a place in heaven with him. Not because of us, but because of Jesus and what he's done, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our place. It's like literally this picture of God coming down into our world and saving us. Not giving us like a self-help book of how we can save ourselves, but literally coming down and just getting us. And Peter, he called this last week our, our living hope, right? That this broken world that we live in, that we all know about, is not our true home. That God knows that and he's actually wanting to take us with him to a better world. And then not only that, he's actually actively in this life working to transform us into the type of people who will one day be at home in that world. That he can actually like look at you in heaven with him one day and say, reign with me, you're ready. Because when you become a Christian, you become, as Peter has said, a stranger and an exile to this world because you're progressively becoming the type of person who is less at home in the world and more at home in heaven. And I'm not saying that like, when you become a Christian, you start to like, all of a sudden sprout wings out of your back and learn to fly and start to meditate and hover and levitate and disembody yourself and, and like weird stuff like that. It's like not that type of transformation. But Peter says it's a transformation of your character. He says you, you get so transformed by holding on to and trusting Jesus. That's what the word faith in the Bible means. Trusting Jesus, holding on to him, letting go of all these other things in life and holding on to him. And through all the trials of this life, the fiery trials, the pain, he says one day, you will be found to result in praise and glory and honor when you are presented before King Jesus. I just want to ponder that for for a second with you guys. Do do you realize what that will one day be like? You, all your mess, your messy story, your life, in Christ, God will someday look at you as a masterpiece. He will look at you as a a trophy for his glory and of his grace. Your transformed life in heaven will bring him glory. And this is what Peter means when he says, concerning this salvation. That's the salvation that he's talking about. I know there's, there's many of you in this room that you have been, as Peter says, born again to a living hope. 
Maybe at some point while you were in college, right? You have, you have crossed over this line from death to life. You were, you were born again by God. You are a Christian. But I know there's also many of you in this room that like you, you hear that and you're kind of tracking and you're leaning in, but, but you would say, I'm not quite sure, you know, if I have this salvation at all. If you ask me, am I going to go to heaven someday? You're like, I don't, I, I, I think I want to, but I don't, I don't totally know. And, and if you're in that, that category, I would just, I just want to ask you, what do you, what do you think is holding you back right now from receiving that salvation? Now, do you think that it's fair to, to maybe say, you know, I just don't know that I could ever know that. Like, I don't know if I could ever answer that question confidently that I would go to heaven. Like, how can I, how can I do that? And, and I would say to you this, I would say if you're hearing me right now, if you hear my voice talking about Jesus, if you've been coming on Thursday and hearing the gospel, this message about salvation, you've been hearing about heaven, and if you feel something, if you're starting to feel a longing inside of you to know him, to belong to him, if there's something in you that's saying, yeah, I'd, I'd like to be a part of his family. I'm not saying if you have no more sin in your life. I'm saying, if, is there a longing in you? Is there something about the things you've been hearing about God that you're saying, yeah, I, I want to be a part of that? Then what God might be doing in your life, in your story right now, is he might be causing you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you've started to see how the things of this world that you hoped in haven't satisfied you, won't satisfy you, will not deliver on their promises, you might be starting to see that only Jesus is the living hope. And some of you might say, well, Ronnie, you know what? I am actually waiting for Jesus to physically appear to me in my dorm room tonight to prove himself, <laughs> right? And, and, I, and I said that funny, but like, it's fair. You're like, no, I, I need to see him. Like, I, I can't just like, like, I need, I need more proof in what Peter would say to you, if you remember last week, he says that that's not quite how it works. He said in verse 8, you can even just look, look up in your Bible, verse 8, he says, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so he's saying, you don't need to see Jesus with your physical eyes right now to be saved. He says, you can have salvation without seeing him. He said, instead, you need to be able to see him with your spiritual eyes, which interestingly is through your ears. Okay, did you catch that? We, we see Jesus through our ears. More on that in a second. I think it frustrates us as, as modern people that we can't put God in a laboratory you know, and empirically test him and evaluate him and examine him and understand him. And I, I, I get that. I get it. That's how we think about everything else, to try to prove it's true. But, but I, for one, am glad that the God of the universe is not so small and weak that we could somehow, like, capture him and, and do that. Right? Like, I'm glad that that is not who God turned out to be. Like, of course we can't do that to him. He's God. But I think in our frustration at that, at our inability to kind of, like, put him in a, in a laboratory and, and see him like we would want to see him, we forget that he's been speaking to us the whole time. Speaking to us. The Bible talks about us being able to, to see Jesus, to see God through our ears by hearing the message of salvation, the gospel. Faith, trusting Jesus, the ability to take his hand comes through hearing. And so look at what Peter says in verse 10. Again, concerning the salvation 
The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and they inquired carefully. They were inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So he said this word, the prophets. All right, throughout the whole Bible, you're going to see that there's these people that God, he would basically break into the human story and he would speak to these people in a unique way. And he would tell them something. He would give them some insight into his plan to save the world. And these people, they would go out into the world and they would communicate on behalf of God to the world. These people were called prophets. Okay, there's a a ton of them in the Bible. It's people like Noah and Abraham and Moses and Deborah and Samuel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and so many more. And they prophesied and they, they spoke on God's behalf about what Peter calls the grace that was to be yours. Ours, this, the salvation that we have. These prophets, they were, they've been talking about it. And it's interesting because Peter, he gets into here how this, like, how this process, this crazy process actually happened. Like, if you've ever wondered, how did we, how did we get the Bible? How, why do we call this God's word? Right? He says that these people, these prophets, like, they, some of them got, like, these visions and things, but it wasn't always, like, this, this weird trance that they went into, but in a truly supernatural way, God was speaking to people, whether audibly or internally. It says they were wrestling with what the Spirit of Christ was saying internally to them. But then it says they, they searched and they inquired carefully. Like they, they applied their mind to this. They weren't just like humming in a trance. They thought it through. And oftentimes they wrote it down and they spoke because God would tell them, now go tell people about what I told you. And, and what they would do is they would speak and they would write these things down as they were predicting the plan of God and how it would unfold eventually in Jesus. And in the book of 2 Peter, which it's, it's another letter that Peter wrote, it's like right next to this in your Bible, Peter, he, he elaborates this a little more of, like, of how this works. And you can just listen to me as I read it. This is what he says. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were actually eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter was was a type of prophet who God revealed himself to him in Jesus Christ and then Peter spoke about him. He wrote books of the Bible just like these Old Testament prophets and he's saying we didn't make this story up. This wasn't a myth. Like God, he, he revealed himself to us and then we just told people what God said. He says, I'm not, I, I'm not like writing a fantasy novel here. I'm writing an eyewitness account. And then he says, knowing this, first of all, that, that no prophecy of scripture, the Bible, comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that's it right there. Okay, that's like, In a nutshell, if you've ever wondered how did we get the Bible, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so much more can be said about that, but that's a a different talk and we've got to move on. But my point is this, okay? When we consider how the gospel got to us, we need to realize that it's been passed down to us. Okay, it's been passed down to us from all these different prophets, from all these different people throughout history. And Peter says the message they were passing down was a message about the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And this is really important to to stop on for a second. And this is like the first big implication that I want to draw out for us that I see in the text. This implication is this. If you ask the question, how did the gospel come to us? Well, 
the gospel came to us through tremendous suffering. And we should be unbelievably grateful for that. Like the gift of salvation that God has given to the world, it was purchased for us by the blood of Jesus, by the suffering of the Son of God. In week one, a couple weeks ago of this series, we talked about how Jesus, he says he's sprinkled us with his blood, right? He suffered for our sins on our behalf. We don't deserve heaven, but he's given it to us as a gift that he purchased, he suffered for, so he could forgive us. But even in addition to that, when you read the writings of the prophets in the Bible, we see that they all suffered too. These people that were carrying the message, not accomplishing the mission like Jesus did, but carrying on the message of salvation, they all suffered. Hebrews chapter 11 looks back on some of these people and just listen to me as I read what it says about them. It says, you know, some of these people, they were, they were tortured, refusing to accept release. Others, they suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. These people, these prophets, these messengers from God that were like writing down and recording what we now know as the Bible, they were, they were wandering around in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all of these, though they were commended for their faith, they passed on the message and then they didn't even receive what was promised in this life. Like they died before they got to see it all fulfilled. And that's just people in the Bible, right? Like there's been 2,000 years of church history since then. There's been thousands and thousands of Christians who have suffered even to the point of death to get this book and the message of this book in our hands tonight. There was a man named John Huss. Anybody heard of John Huss in here? David Livingston in the back has heard of John Huss. Well, here, let me tell you about John Huss. He was a pastor in Prague in the 1300s, okay, so a long time ago, and the church had become very corrupt, okay, in a million different ways, but you could boil it down to, they had basically lost the gospel. They had, the, the message of salvation had been so twisted and corrupted by human uh, motives and power that like, it was, it was no longer a free offer of grace and just all this stuff. Like basically, you couldn't, you couldn't know how to go to heaven if you went to the church back then. It had been lost. And not only that, but the Bible had been lost. Like there was a deliberate thing of like not letting people have the Bible. They would like chain the Bible to the church so that people couldn't take it home with them. And so basically John Huss, along with a guy named John Wycliffe and a bunch of other people, they were part of an early movement to try to recover the gospel, the message of salvation, and bring the Bible back into the hands of the people. And obviously the leaders of the day in the church, they didn't like this. And so they put him on trial for what they called heresy. And here's just an account of what happened in the trial of John Huss. Okay, I'm going to read the account. It says, while Huss was speaking, so in his trial, he was laughed at and mocked by all the council members. And then they became en enraged at his words and they condemned him to be burned. Seven came forward and commended Huss to put on the garments of a priest, which he did. And then they began to degrade and mock him as they removed the priest's garments from him one at a time. The bishops, they decided that they should actually cut off the crown of his head with a pair of shears. 
which they proceeded to do. Then on his bloodied head, they put a paper bishop's hat that had demons painted on it and the words, ringleader of heretics. When Huss saw it, he said, for my sake, my Lord Jesus Christ wore a crown of thorns. So for his sake, why should I not wear this light crown, even if it's a shameful thing? When the bishop put that paper mitre on Huss's head, he said, now we commit your soul to hell. Huss lifted his eyes towards heaven and said, but I commend into your hands, O Lord Jesus Christ, my spirit that you have redeemed. Total act of defiance. Huss was then led past a fire where they were burning his books and was bound to a stake with a chain. And as the executioner wrapped the chain around him, Huss smiled and said, my Lord Jesus was bound with a harder chain than this one for my sake, so why should I be ashamed of this rusty chain? The bundles of sticks, they were piled up to his neck, and the Duke of Bavaria tried to get him to recant his teachings, tried to get him to, to just disagree with it so that he could save his life. Huss replied, no. I never preached any doctrine that was evil, and what I taught with my lips, I will now seal with my blood. And so when the fire was lit and the flames engulfed him, Huss sang a hymn so loud and cheerful that he could actually be heard above the crackling of the burning sticks and the noise of the crowd watching him burn. Soon, however, his voice stopped as the flames reached his throat and his face and he slumped forward against his chains. With continued foolishness, the, the bishops, they carefully gathered Huss's ashes and they, they cast them into the Rhine River so that no remnant of Huss would remain on the earth. They could not, however, by torment or fire or water, erase his memory or his teachings out of the minds of his supporters. Through them, his memory and teachings would continue to be honored and spread far and wide. In death, Huss was more of a threat to the papacy than in life. And it is because of men and women like him that we have this book, that you have a copy of it, that you've got apps on your phone, that you can come here every week, that you could sit in a coffee shop somewhere on campus with somebody in Salt Company and you could know about salvation. You can know that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, that Jesus is the living hope. You can have a confident answer to, will I be in heaven with God someday? Because people like John Huss, they, they suffered to get the gospel to you. And this is, where this hits home for me, like I, I can be a complacent Christian slug when I start to feel entitled, like I deserve this somehow. Like I, I deserved to be a Christian, or I, I, I deserve to get to know about salvation. I deserve to have my own personal Bible, but I am shocked out of my entitlement I am shocked out of my complacency when I remember and I realize the sufferings of Jesus and the sufferings of the saints throughout history that have literally shed their blood to get the gospel to me. The gospel, it comes to us through suffering and Peter, he wants us to feel this and he wants us to be 
unbelievably grateful. And then he goes on, verse 12. It says, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So here's the crazy thing about the gospel, the crazy unique thing about the gospel. It is, it's not a philosophy. It's not an idea. It's not only a teaching. It's a literal historical event. Jesus Christ came into history as a Jewish carpenter from a town called Nazareth. He probably stubbed his thumb while hammering stuff that he was building as a carpenter, and he probably didn't swear when he did it. He lived a life of such beauty and holiness and perfection that no one could deny it, and then he was horrifically betrayed by some of his closest friends, one of his closest friends. He was murdered on a Roman cross by his own people, the Jews, and then when everyone thought that the movement was over and he was just another failed hero on the pages of human history, he rises back from the dead. He walks on the earth for 40 days, appearing to over 500 people to verify that it's really him. And then before ascending to take his throne in heaven, he declares the real movement has only just begun. And this all really happened in History. Remember, Jesus, uh, Peter's like, this wasn't a myth I made up. I am an eyewitness writing a biography of this man. Peter says this was predicted by the prophets for centuries. But then a historical event about a 33-year-old man in a marginal Middle Eastern town has proved to be endlessly powerful and relevant to every generation and every human culture since that day. Like the ripple effects of the life of this man, Jesus of Nazareth. They've been tearing through history since the resurrection. And the message has never been able to be stopped and it's showing no signs now of being slowed down. And more than that, it's not just like a historical phenomenon that I can talk to you guys about and we can look back in the history books about. It's actually something that has come to you the ripple effects of the gospel have come to you. It's reached us. Peter says salvation, it was predicted, it was preached by these prophets, and then it was accomplished by Jesus, and now it's being preached and passed on until it came to you. All the way from the Middle East to the Midwest, here, right now, in Madison, Wisconsin. And so here's the, the second implication that we need to draw out of this. It's this, the gospel, it came to you like a tidal wave to overwhelm you. And you should be overwhelmed and amazed by that. Like there's places in the Bible that talk about salvation like it's a refreshing drink of water. And there is a perspective of that that is absolutely true. But it's so much more than that. The message of salvation is like a tidal wave. It is a promise and it is a story that is so much bigger than any of us and all of us. And when it crashes into your life, you don't say, yeah, it was a nice, it's a nice, refreshing thing. On, on with my day. You say, I am undone. Like, like this changes everything. I, I feel like I have been born again. I will never be the same. Everything has changed. My whole life is different now. I am overwhelmed with this new story. And so when we find ourselves in this place where our faith has lost its sense of wonder, it feels familiar. Maybe it even feels boring, and I've been there. Peter, he 
invites us to, to take a closer look to what it really means that the gospel has come to you. It's been announced to you. And to, to put an exclamation point on it, did you notice what he did? Like the last little thing he said, he says this thing about the angels. Do you notice that? He says, these are, he's like, these are things that literally, dude, the angels, they are longing to look at this stuff. Like, he's saying that the, these angelic beings, these messengers from God that, that he created that live in heaven with him, and he sends them down to earth sometimes to do these missions, but they're, they're mostly up there with him. He says, they have been looking down, like, wondering how this human story was going to play out. They've been watching, and they're at the edge of their seats, captivated, like, captivated by what God has done to accomplish a salvation for sinful rebels like us. It is the greatest drama, the greatest story. Jesus, he is the hero of all heroes and the angels. They have not grown tired since the creation of the world at watching how this is unfolding. They are watching you. They are watching you. They are wondering if and when and how you will take your place in your role in the greatest story that has ever been told. And so again, if you're bored with Jesus right now, could it be that you're not really paying attention to what is really going on like they are? Because if you're a Christian, you're a part of something that's so much bigger than you. If we just think about it logically, like the only way to not be thrilled by that is to choose to, to be a blob and to just not participate in it, right? And I'm not saying that our lives have to be or ever will be like a constant spiritual high, like a constant mountaintop experience. But what I am saying is I think there's so much more wonder, so much more amazement, so much more joy that we are leaving on the table because we're not paying attention. We're not looking like the angels are looking and so even really practically, sometimes when we're singing on Sunday or on here, like, I can go through the motions and I can, like, like not pay attention to the words, but sometimes in a moment of, of glory, I will, I will really pay attention to what I'm singing and I'll realize, like, wow, this is, this is not just, like, a nice pick-me-up for my week, but this is, like, a, a, a massive, beautiful, amazing, glorious story that I've been caught up in where I don't deserve, I don't deserve this, but I've been caught up in it. And then I, I look around at all of you and I see you singing too, and I just think, like, how odd is it that we are doing this? How, how strange is it that we, we are like assembled together and we're facing, like we're like looking at these words on a string and we are, we're singing in a, we're not like at a concert hearing someone sing, but we are singing together about this stuff. And I, I look around and I, I, I would call that wonder. Like I, I get caught up in the wonder of that this is my real life. Everything else I'm doing is my real life too, but this is, I'm having a moment where I'm seeing what is really going on. I'm seeing the true story that my story is a part of, the true future that I'm, I'm heading for, not because of me, but because God came down and he purchased me with his blood. And he said, I want you to be a part of my family. And Jesus said, where I go, you get to go. The gospel, it came to us like a tidal wave that overwhelmed us, swept us off of our feet, pulled us into the story of God. But it's not just like a tidal wave. It's also like a, a river 
a river that flows through us and out into the world. And that's the last implication of this is that the gospel, it came to you on its way to someone else. Verse 12 again, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. These prophets, they got the message of salvation. It was revealed to them, but then it was also revealed to them that this isn't just for you, it's for for someone else. It's for these future people in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. So stop for a minute and realize this. Yes, God is the only one who saves, but the way he's chosen to do it is through people who proclaim the message. Every story of salvation in this room has names of other people in it who brought you the message, people who prayed for you, people who told you about Jesus. Who was that for you in your life? What did they say? What did they do? What was it like when you first heard the gospel and you understood it? When did you believe it? How did it happen? It happened because they they told you, but it wasn't just them. Peter says it was the Holy Spirit helping them, flowing through them, helping them. Every one of the people that that God used in your story also had somebody that God used in their story because the gospel always comes to you on its way to someone else. And I know for me, one of the main symptoms of me being a Christian slug is that rather than the gospel flowing through me, I just kind of leave like this nasty trail of slime behind me. And what I mean by that is like I get too focused on myself and I stop letting God use me. And so I, in my life, it's like I'm, I'm like a Christian, but I'm just kind of crawling around through life, leaving a trail of slime that helps nobody. For you, like when, when people interact with you, Christian, when people interact with you, would they say that it, it feels like a, a living hope and a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Like there's something like flowing through them. There is a, a joy and there is a message flowing through them. Or would they say it feels more like, like a trail of slime? And if you're feeling apathy in your faith right now, could it be because you're not experiencing the thrill of opening yourself up to be used by God in his mission? I know that that like freaks us out. I know it. I know that it freaks us out, the idea of us announcing the good news to someone else. Like that's for the people in the Bible, that's for pastors and prophets, but it's not for me. But guys, the, the truth of the matter is the gospel has always been advanced through ordinary people like us. Like you, you were somebody that you were starting to, to look for hope in your life and someone just told you that, hey, Jesus is the one who's worthy of your hope. You were at a point in your life where you were looking for joy and you had some ordinary person who told you that, that in Jesus there is, there is joy, a joy like I've never experienced. At some point in your life you were looking for purpose and someone told you about your creator. They said there is a God and he made you and he designed you and he knows why he put you here on this earth. There was a point in your life where the weight and the consequences of your sin They finally became too unbearable for you. And then you had a friend or a family member or someone that that told you about the Savior who takes away that burden. Who bears the weight of your sin on the cross. Who sprinkles you with his blood saying you are forgiven. That even though in reality you have been a, a dirty, filthy mess, he can wash you clean with his blood. Someone told Someone told you that. And not in eloquent words of wisdom, but just in the simple 
message that there was a God who saves. And God, he's not looking for all-stars or experts. He's just looking for people that are willing to be used by him, willing to tell other people about him. And, and get this, that's, that is just how he has chosen to do it. He accomplishes salvation, but he has chosen to give the gift of salvation to the world through us. The gospel comes to us on its way to somebody else. And for some of you, that's going to mean walking across the hallway in your dorm floor. For some of you, it might mean walking across to the other end of the world where people don't know about the gospel and telling them about Jesus. We have a friend here at Salt Company named Mitchell Carlson. And I'm going to, yeah, Mitchell, why don't you come up here? Mitchell, you can make your way up here. And he's actually, before we, before we respond and sing, he's going to come up here and kind of close out the sermon and pray by, by sharing with you what it, what it means to him that the gospel came to him on its way to somebody else. Yeah, hi, Salt Company. Um, yeah, like you, when I was in college, I, um, uh, yeah, I went to Iowa State, so I was not like you in that, but I went to Salt Company at Iowa State. Um, and really just figured out what it means to um, serve God with all of your life. And I had connection group leaders who gave up a lot of their time and uh, really just poured into me and taught me what it looked like to be a Christian man. Um, so that was kind of how people poured into me. Um, and then as I was um, graduating and looking towards what was next for me in my life, uh, I felt God was leading me towards uh, Madison to help with the church plant. So um, I actually came here to help start docs at church in whatever way I could and ended up leading a connection group of um, UW students. So um, some of those students are now leaders here and it's really cool to see that. Um, but that's just an example of how, yeah, just God used me and brought the gospel to other people. And now um, even as I was at Madison, um, I felt God calling me again to just do missions overseas. Um, and I was pretty darn resistant to that, but uh, God worked in my heart, and I said yes eventually. Um, so yeah, now I'm headed to te um, Japan, God willing, with my um, team who's here. So yeah, uh, super cool. Uh, we're really excited about that, but uh, yeah, just my challenge to all of you would be to put your yes on the table for God. Um, yeah, Ronnie called me up here as an example, but I... Um, I'm not a good example in a lot of ways. I'm very sinful. I'm arrogant, proud, lustful, filled with doubts, anxieties, insecurities. Um, but what I do have is Christ and Christ crucified um, and just the command to bring the gospel to all peoples and to all nations. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Hey, I'll take my mask off. Now you know what I look like. <laughs> um, yeah, but God has given you all that same call um, to reach, reach out to other people with the gospel. So my challenge to you would just be to put your yes on the table. Don't have any yes, but I have to go to Milwaukee with this marketing job or whatever. Just put your yes on the table and see where God will take you. I can't promise you where he will take you, but I know that he'll be there with you. Um, and if you're following him, good things are in store. So yeah, let's pray. Um, dear God, thank you so much for um, just giving us the freedom to gather and to worship you um, freely and to dive into your word, Lord. Um, I pray that you would fill these students with the conviction of 
um, your holiness and your glory, Lord, um, and just the passion to share that uh, with lost people who are in their lives and people who are not yet in their lives, Lord. Um, I pray that you would give them uh, just the courage, the wisdom, and the boldness to um, share the gospel with their friends, family, um, dorm mates, roommates, um, co-workers. Uh, Lord, yeah, I just pray that you would uh, give us all just the passion for the lost. Um, yeah, help us to see how your gospel has moved throughout the ages through people, Lord. We know that you are sovereign over all, um, but you choose to use us. And I don't fully understand why, Lord, but you do. Um, so we thank you uh, for your loving kindness. It's in your name we pray. Amen.